We are going to be starting out today in Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to be looking at a couple of words in our Bible. And uh, one thing that uh, I was challenged on several months ago, and I appreciate people who challenge me um, in a godly way and, uh, and towards uh, good things, and, um, and I've, I've been talking a lot about it, the importance of biblical words and whenever you start emphasizing the use of biblical words a lot of times people just kind of straw man you and they'll start saying well you know if we can only use biblical words then we we can't say bible we can't say trinity we can't say rapture and things like the the classic arguments and people all come up with and again i am not against using extra biblical terms however sometimes we need to make sure we clarify things and I do believe that we actually clear things up when we get more biblical in our terminology. And I think these other words often, while maybe meant to bring clarity, I think it only brings clarity to a preconceived doctrinal position somebody already holds. And the reality is, I'm finding out when you actually get biblical, scriptural, for a more uh, scriptural term, Understand that clarity comes from using biblical terms. And I want, to look, I want to show you a word that we're going to look at two different words today. And this one I was specifically challenged on. And it just made a ton of sense. And again, if we get, when we get away from biblical language, we can start preaching some really stupid stuff. And I'm going to point out some really stupid stuff being preached by one of our favorite preachers, Dr. Sam Gitt. All right? And I say that with great sarcasm. But um, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, it says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So when you think of the word translation, what do you typically think of? Well, how do we normally use the word translation today? Exactly. Now, that is an appropriate definition. But that is not the only way the word translation is used. And, that's, and, and it's never used to go from one language to another in the Bible. We don't ever see that in the Scriptures. That, it's a legitimate definition, but the Scriptures never uses the word translation in that way. It uses a different word when going from one language to another. And I think it's important, this is an important thing that I want to point out. And so one of the things we need to remember when it comes to interpreting Scripture is we're supposed to interpret it according to its context and according to its historical and grammatical context. So, for example, if a word changes meaning over time, does the Bible change meaning with it? Of course not. The Bible means the same thing that it meant when it was originally written. And so words do change meaning over time or we change how we use those words and so we always when we're looking at the scriptures we want to look at context and historical and grammatical context it does matter and so if a word gets updated the bible does not change with it and ruckmanites who are like known as like the big king james defenders they are the ones who preach some of the weirdest doctrines from our king james bible and often you'll see their error is they are applying a modern definition to a word that we see in the scriptures and they are taking and then now preaching something completely contrary to what that passage is trying to teach. So if a word changes meaning over time, 
the Bible doesn't change meaning with it. It's always meant the same thing. And, and so one of the things that Sam Gift, I saw, in fact, I had a, uh, a pastor who pointed this out, how the Bible never uses the word translation to describe going from one language to another. It never uses that word. It uses a different word. And he was talking about how important that was. And then I remember shortly after that, on IV sermon clips, they started sharing all these clips of Sam Gipp preaching how the King James is superior to the originals because it's a translation. And, and don't you hear people say that all the time? You know, your King James Bible is a translation. Right? Now, is this a translation of the original? Yes. If we are referring to transferring from one language to another, if we are going off that definition. But is the King James Bible a translation according to the use of that word in the King James Bible? And the answer to that is no. That it is not. So notice that Enoch, he was translated. Okay? And, and obviously, that has a meaning to it. I personally believe what we're seeing with uh, Enoch's translation was similar to what we see with Christ's transfiguration on the mountain. I believe, I believe Enoch, he was already glorified and taken to heaven, not seeing death. And, and so when he was translated, he went from regular Enoch to glorified Enoch, right? So what, what do we think went to heaven or uh, about what went to heaven? Was it superior to what was on earth? Yes, it was. So Sam, get King James is a translation. Look at the word translation in your Bible. It's always, some, the translation is always something better. In fact, it, look at Second Samuel chapter 3. In verse 9, it says, So do God to Abner and more also, except as the Lord has sworn to David, even so I do to him. To translate the kingdom from the house of Saul and to set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan even to Beersheba. So translate here, it means like cross over or to transfer over to. And so what happened to the kingdom? It was translated from Saul to David. Now, was it... Did it improve under David or was it inferior or was it exactly the same? No, it was better. David was a better king than Saul. So again, what do we see? When something is translated, we have something better than the original. Therefore, the King James, since it's a translation, is better than the original. Except that's not how the Bible is using that word. That is not what the Bible explains to about the Scripture. And it is not the word that our Scriptures use when talking about transferring from one language to another. Okay? And again, don't go around correcting people if they're like, you know, I was translating for this person who spoke in Spanish. You know, don't rebuke them. We know what they mean. Okay? And, and that is an accurate definition. But again, translation in our King James Bible, it doesn't mean just transferring from one language to another. It's, I mean, it, to, to transfer from one thing to something else it is is a translation. And so Colossians 1.12 says, Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us. And notice how He's made us meet. He's made us suitable. Remember that word for the next sermon we're going to be preaching. Uh, he's made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So we've been translated. 
We have been translated, transferred, moved over into his kingdom. And that's, is that not better? Are we not better now than we were before? Of course we are. So, that word translate, uh, according to the you know, Greek definition, means to transfer. That is carry away, depose or exchange. Uh, in, um, it's another definition is seduce, put out, remove, translate, turn away. So we can see that that's how they're using that word about it. it means just transfer. So Enoch, he did. He got translated or transferred from earth to heaven. And I do believe he would have had some physical changes as a result of that because flesh and blood is not going to enter into the kingdom, uh, in the kingdom of God. And so the Webster's 1828, all right, the Webster's 1828 definition of translate, it means to, um, uh, means to bear carry or remove from one place to another. It is applied to a removal of a bishop from one uh, see to another. Uh, to remove or convey to heaven as a human being without death. And it uses Enoch in Hebrews 11.15. To transfer, to convey from one place to another. That's 2 Samuel 3.10. It puts down. To cause to remove from one part of the body to another as to translate a disease. Uh, definition 5, to change. And then the sixth one is to interpret, to render into another language, to express the sense of one language in the words of another. The Old Testament was translated into the Greek language more than 200 years before Christ. The scriptures are now translated into most of the languages of Europe and Asia. So uh, notice that the sixth definition in the Webster's 1828 is going from one language to another. That's how it used it. Again, that's a legitimate use of the word that's just not how the bible uses the word and the bible never uses the word translate when talking about going from one language to another and then the last definition was to explain now if you go to dictionary.com the very first definition is to turn from one language to another or from a foreign language into one's own so that's like the that's mainly the way we use that word today but again sam gipp does not look at context and so he sees translate always going from one thing to something better in the scriptures. And therefore, he can get up and, like a true Rachmanite, say what we have in the King James is superior to the originals. Now, that, to me, I think, first off, I think that's completely false. I think that also um, contradicts a lot of scriptures. The whole point of interpretation right, or translating, if you want to use that word, is we're supposed to be seeing the same, hear, hearing the same thing. Okay? We're supposed to be hearing the same thing. You know, if I am interpreting instructions, you know, in, if I'm saying, in, in, if, I, if me, I'm giving a command in English, but somebody is in Spanish and you're going to translate that for me, it's really important that you say the same thing. Otherwise, I'm not going to be pleased. If it's not the same thing, then you are not accurately translating it. That's not right. We want it to be the same thing. And, we, and you're not supposed to improve it either. Okay? Now, sometimes we, I was thinking about this when I was studying for this. We often do that. Have you ever had to relay a message to somebody and you knew they're probably not going to react well to this message? And so what do we often try to do? We often try to improve the message a little bit. I, in fact, I remember one time I got in trouble at school. And I remember you know, my dad was the principal. And I remember the teacher told me, she's like, when your dad gets here, you tell them what you did. And she was basically telling me to go tattle. You know, I had to go tattle on myself. 
you know, because she was really upset and what I'd done was bad. All I did was I tied some strings that when you pull them apart, they explode to a girl's chair. And then when she pulled her chair out from her desk, it exploded and scared everybody in the classroom. I don't know why I got in trouble for that. But I remember, uh, I remember I, w- I went to go, uh, my dad got there and I went and I told him about it. But I made it sound funny. I made it sound, you know, like it wasn't bad. And I'm like telling him, yeah, you know those, you know those exploding strings that you bought me? <laughs> you know, I, I tied them to one of the girl's chairs and it scared everybody. And he's like, oh, that's funny. And I was like, yeah. So like, I don't think, I don't think. My teacher appreciated it, though. She told me I need to let you know about it. But, you know, so he's like, okay. Well, then I, like, walked out of the office. And I think she could tell I wasn't traumatized. I didn't get in trouble or anything like that. So she went and talked to him. And then after she went and explained it the way the message was originally intended, all of a sudden, my dad changed his tune. And, and the reality was I gave certain elements of the same facts to him, but the tra- in the tra- there were some things that were lost in translation there. Right? Now, and I used to do stuff like that, and I and I remember one time getting very upset with Jason because I remember he did, did, he somehow figured out how to do that same thing. I never taught him how to do that, but he was always really good at doing that kind of thing where he would like tell me about something he did, but he would tell it in a way that was funny, you know, hoping I wouldn't get mad. And I remember one time I got really upset with him just because it reminded me of myself, and it was just like, it's like you weren't even born when I did that. How did you learn these things? But uh, you know, again, Jason, I've always reaped what I sowed with him because we've always had so much in common. But again, the thing about our King James Bible, I, do, I believe it says the same thing as the originals. I believe it's the same. I don't believe there's anything extra. I think that's ridiculous. But that's what guys like Sam get for teaching because he's misusing the word. He's using a Bible word. And again, a lot of people use the extra biblical words. So they can insert their own definitions, but sometimes people use Bible words and then they change the definition. That's not right either. Both are wrong. We need to use the words of God the way He used them. And so, um, if we, so here's the question though. What if we use the Bible word for, you know, going from one language to another? If we do that, all of a sudden, I think that helps us have a lot more clarity in what we have in our King James Bible. So, look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 14. Because the, the word that the Bible uses for tra- to transfer from, from one language to another is the word interpretation, not translation. Yes, in the Bible, translation, the translation is always better than the original. But that's not how the Bible explains uh, transferring from one language to another. It uses the word interpretation. So a lot of times people talk about how this is the King James translation. Well, I believe we call it the King James interpretation. It is a more biblical way to express it. And I think as we look at how the Bible uses this word, we'll understand why it's better to say it that way. So in 1 Corinthians 14, 5, it says, I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied, for greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. So, notice, again, when they're speaking in tongues, no one is edified if no one understands. So, he said, if you're going to do it, someone needs to interpret. Verse 13, Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. Verse 27, If a man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one 
interpret. Now, here's why interpreting is so important. Because if I'm just up here, and this is why, and this, get this too, this is why it says two or three. Can anybody think of what, that why it says two or three? Can anybody think of a place in the Bible where it talks about two or three a lot? Two or three witnesses. We need two or three witnesses for something to be established, for something to be proven. Two, we need two or three witnesses. So if somebody comes along and is saying something in an unknown tongue, or, or it's saying something just from another language that no one else understands. How about if somebody comes along and says, in the Greek, it says, whatever. You know what? We should have two or three witnesses that what he is saying is actually from the Greek. Because what we always have is people, I'll tell you what's in the Greek, and then they'll you know, add some foolishness to it. Well, you know what? If we're going to go into unknown tongues, let's get two or three witnesses. Is he actually using the Greek properly? Is that what the Greek actually says? People always want to tell you about one Greek manuscript they found and how it says something different. Well, can we not get two or three witnesses on that, these things? And so he's saying, so the reason we have to have two or three witnesses is, okay, if this word in this unknown tongue is from God, first off, we need some kind of proof that, one, this is actually what it says, and then... Somebody needs to interpret. It doesn't do any of us a bit of good if it's not being interpreted. But here's what we have in most churches today. You've got to preach good up. I'll tell you what the Greek says, and I'll interpret it for you. But the reality is, if you're going to be referring to unknown tongues, you need to have two or three witnesses on these things, and you need to interpret so others can be edified. And we're not going to be edified if we don't know what it actually says. And so most of the time in the Bible, when we see the word interpretation, it's referring to the interpreting of dreams, visions. But we're going to focus on where it uses interpreting from one language to another. Now, Daniel 5, 7 says, The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers, and the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing, so there's a writing, they don't understand what it means. Okay, they, they, there's a, I mean, it was, it scared them when this hand comes and writes on the wall, but nobody knows what it means. And so it says, and show me, not the translation, the interpretation thereof. And shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then came in all the king's wise men that they could not read the writing nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Verse 12, for as much as an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding, interpreting of dreams, and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel, who the king named Belteshazzar. Now, now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Verse 15, And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof, but they could not show the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of thee that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now, if thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet and have chain of gold about thy neck and shalt be third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said unto the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king and will make known to him the interpretation. Now, when Daniel gives the interpretation of the words that are written on the wall, okay, are those the words of God? 
Now, what, now what is it that the non-King James people want to say? Well, you know, these aren't you know, necessarily the very words of God because, you know, God didn't speak in English. You know, God didn't speak in Elizabethan English. You know, he spoke in Hebrew. But wait a minute. Okay, first off, the words that we see Dana writing, even in the Hebrew, hey, these things, you know, uh, there, there are many places in the Bible where the words that are written are, even in Hebrew, even in Greek, are not the words that were spoken. You know what they are? They are the interpretation of the words that were spoken. And so some people act like the words of God are only the words that came out of his mouth or the words that were originally written, but even a lot of the words that were originally written were interpretations of different words. And, and what the Bible recorded for us is the interpretation of those words. But guess what? The interpretation of the words of God are, in fact, still the words of God. Do we understand that? So yes, our King James Bible, it is, it's an interpretation of what God said, of what came from God's mouth. It is an interpretation of what Paul said. And oh, words that were spoken in Greek, words that were spoken in Hebrew, words that were spoken in Aramaic, it's just, it's an interpretation of those, and they, and they are still the words of God. Second Peter 1.20 says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, is the word that it uses. And so let me, again, another... So, uh, Genesis 42.18. I want you to notice this right here. Genesis 42.18 says, And Joseph said unto them the third day, This do and live, for I fear God. You say, well, Joseph didn't actually say those words because Joseph didn't speak English. Only the original words are what was inspired. In the verse 19, If ye be true men, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison. Go ye carry corn for the famine of your house. But bring your youngest brother unto me, so shall your words be verified, and ye shall not die. And they did so. So when you read the Hebrew, are you reading the very words that came from the mouth of Joseph? No, you're not. You know why? Because what Joseph said, okay, look at verse 21. And they said to one another, we are very guilty concerning our brother in that what we, uh, we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us that he would not hear. Therefore, in this distress, come unto us. And Reuben answered them, saying, Spake I not unto you, saying, Do not sin against the child. And you would not hear. Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. And they knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter. So the original words were actually Egyptian. And, but the original words that were recorded, that were penned down by Moses, were in Hebrew. They were only the interpretation of the actual words that Joseph spoke. So if the words that Joseph spoke, if the words, and if the words that Jesus spoke, if the words that God spoke, if they were recorded originally in a different language, they were an interpretation, weren't they? But were they the words of God? Was the Bible wrong when it said these are the words of jo- these are the words that Joseph spake, even though he actually spake Egyptian? There, well, yeah, because it's an interpretation, and therefore it's the same thing. And so our King James Bible, it is it's an interpretation of the very words of God. And if it's accurate, if it lines up, if it says the same thing, if it expresses the same thing, then it is still the very words of God. It's still inspired. 
And it's, it's important that we understand that. So these are still the, the words of God, even though it's an interpretation. It's an interp- not like Sam Gipp says in a translation, something better. No, it's an interpretation. I mean, it's definitely better for us because we can understand it. But what we should be preaching, what we should be saying, what we should be expressing should be exactly what was originally stated. But we are just interpreting it. And so, again, if, if our King James Bible is an accurate interpretation of the words of God, it is the words it is the Word of God. And there are, there are many places in the Bible where it records the words that were originally written in Hebrew and Greek, but the words they recorded were interpretation of the actual words spoken. There's a lot of spots where we see them speaking by an interpreter. And this is, this is why it's foolish when speaking with English people to try to wow them by using Greek and Hebrew words. If I just get up here and I start and I just, you know, I just quote John 3:16 in Greek. You know, if you don't understand Greek, how are you edified by that? The reality is, if I get up here and I quote John 3:16 in Greek, and you know, it should be interpreted, but I also need two or three witnesses that what I actually am interpreting is correct. That I'm telling you the same thing because if I'm not telling you the same thing, then we have a real problem. And, and so again, imagine, imagine if I was a, an interpreter for the president and I'm talking with you know, a prime minister or a president of another country who does not understand English. I mean, do you think I'm going to get in trouble if whenever you know, pre, you know, President Biden or, uh, is like saying something and then I just go and I say something completely different? I start insulting the king, and we've seen that on movies and stuff where people do that kind of thing. That's really bad, you know. And, it's, and so that's why it's important that you have witnesses. That wait, no, we need somebody witnessing that those were the words that were actually being spoken, and we need witnesses that this interpretation is actually correct. And so again, in most churches where preachers get up and they preach, you know, they preach from Greek and tell you what the Greek says and all that kind of, no, they have nobody backing them up. They don't have multiple witnesses. They're just getting up and they're trying to wow you with these things rather than just using the words of God. Okay? That, that, this is what we need to know. This is what will actually edify us. And so again, 1 Corinthians 14.27, If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most by three and that by course and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. So again, if someone is going to insist on getting up and speaking in a tongue that the audience is not familiar with, we should require them to have multiple witnesses. Whenever there's a debate going on about a biblical subject and somebody's like, well, you know, in the Greek, it actually says, you know what? Every, if, if we were just, we would stop everything right then. It's like, okay, wait a minute. If you're going to use this as evidence, we need two or three witnesses that actually agree with your use of the language there. We need two or three unbiased witnesses that you are properly using this language. Is that what that actually says? I don't know. I don't even know how to pronounce half the words. So let's get multiple witnesses. But they don't do that. It's a way to sidetrack you. It's a way to just kind of put one over on you. And I'm not saying you can't ever do it. Obviously, you can, but there's a method to it because interpretation is so important. We've got to make sure 
that when we when you do the job of interpreting something, that you're doing it accurately, that you're telling the same thing, not something different, not something better. Again, if our King James Bible it is it's an improvement on the original, it's like, well, what got added to it? Why? Who? I thought we're not supposed to add to or take away from the words of God. That's what I see in Revelation. I thought we're supposed to be accursed if we add to or take away. So if you're going to tell me about all these extra revelations that we got because it's a translation, well then whoever translated it needs to be accursed for adding to it. It should say the same thing. That's the way interpretation always was in the Scriptures. And so I do. I believe that our King James Bible is a completely accurate interpretation of the very words of God. And therefore, my King James Bible is the Word of God. It is the inspired Word of God. And no one yet today has ever been able to display in any way that makes sense where you know this contradicts the original. Again, a lot, a lot of people claim it, and I and I heard, and so there's a lot of people too. I, in fact, I just heard a guy this week, who, um, you know, has recently left the King James only position, and he was like referring to all these other translations, or in, yeah, and I guess we could, you know, or interpretations, how they're all faithful translations, is what he kept saying. But the problem is, like several of these different interpretations that he named clearly express completely different ideas and thoughts and doctrines than our King James Bible. So how that, that doesn't make any sense. But yet when so so to me that's proof that uh, you're just wrong. You know one of them has to line up with the originals and I believe it's this one. And I think one of the best proofs is just the internal evidence in the fact that the King James Bible does not contradict itself. Now, it contradicts a lot of, you know, doctrines people like. It, it contradicts the doctrines of grace, according to the Calvinists. But they're just wrong about Calvinism. And they need to let the King James Bible form their doctrine rather than trying to conform the words of the King James Bible into their doctrine. And what they have to do is they have to, you know, mess with this interpretation and they, but they pretend they're going back to the originals, but then they're changing things in that interpretation. They're not telling us the same thing. And that's not good. That's not right. And we ought to call that out. And so again, never listen to somebody who's trying to correct your King James Bible with the Greek when they don't even have, we don't even have two or three witnesses that he's even using the Greek language correctly. It doesn't make any sense to do that kind of thing. So hopefully this was a help and a reminder to... Uh, focus on the words of God that He gave us and that He preserved for us. It'll help you more than any of this other junk that's out there. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for Your Word and the clarity that it gives us in these things. I pray you help us to follow it. I pray it'll help us to uh, be disciplined and to let the King James Bible form our thinking rather than uh, other theologies and doctrines out there. And I pray you help us to just be faithful uh, to uh, properly interpreting it. In Your name we pray. Amen.